Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. This is Emma Larking. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at the Australian National University and I love the program Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on the AM dial. Nature never repeats herself and the possibilities of one human soul will never be found in another. Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, Solitudes of Self. 1892. Welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. And I'm speaking to Professor Susan Dodds, who is the Dean of the Faculties of Arts at the University of Tasmania. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Beth. What was it that inspired you to study the ethical use of technology? Well, I came at it from two directions. As as an undergraduate, I was in Canada as an undergrad, and I studied ethics, especially bioethics, as well as political philosophy. And when I came to Australia, I was looking at questions to do with the justification for property, private property, at the same time as uh, debates in Australia and the U.S. were coming on about surrogacy arrangements, the idea of commercial gestational arrangements for people who wanted to have children. And that seemed to bring the two issues together. On the one hand, questions about uh, women's control over their bodies and their use of their bodies in in bioethics, together with questions about ownership and and questions about uh, control in that sense. And from there, I went on and looked at some more issues associated with research ethics, spent a long time chairing a human research ethics committee. And the two aspects of the political philosophy and questions about public policy on the one hand and questions about women, their bodies, reproduction and human flourishing or human health have gone hand in hand for me. So now I'm interested in issues that range from questions about cloning or embryonic stem cell research through to the capacity to 3D print stem cells so that we can have regenerative bone or um, possibly down the track uh, potential to uh, reproduce chunks of organs. So those are the kinds of things that have motivated him. Could you explain exactly what stem cell transplantation is? Sure. So in the case of, of human stem cell research and transplantation, there's two aspects. In the adult stem cell case, it may be that a person, if we think about leukemia and treatments for leukemia is probably what people are most familiar with, where you might do a a biopsy of someone's bone marrow so that when people are getting treatment, they can replenish their own blood cells through the use of, of their marrow. So basically it's the idea that you get something that, that can help you to, to regenerate your own cells, but it's, you're not introducing any of the issues associated with transplantation of someone else's tissue, so you don't have any of the issues of rejection or uh, challenges to the immune system. 
And so if you think about the, the desirability of, of creating treatments that allow you to use our own cells to, to, to improve our health, seems to, to avoid some of those health problems. But there's also human embryonic stem cell therapies, which again are trying to, to get the benefits of the fact that humans have, have a whole bunch of stem cell lines. Um, in the case of embryonic stem cells, they're pluripotent. That means that they can turn into a wide range of different tissues or structures. Because if you think about it, human gametes, you know, over in sperm, can turn into the full range of cells that you have in, in a human body and the full range of, of organs and that kind of organization. So a lot of the work on developing stem cell lines is trying to harness that capacity for our stem cells to differentiate into the particular kind of cells that we want for a particular kind of treatment. And embryonic stem cells appear to have the greatest potential to be pluripotent, although some more recent research suggests that we can use adult cells to be able to develop into whether it be kidney cells or nerve cells or muscle tissue cells, for example, for use in the heart. And so that's, that's, what, that's what goes on. And there's a number of different treatments that people are trying to develop out. Some of them currently exist, and I'm not familiar with what exactly is happening this week in some of the regenerative medicine, but a lot of the work is, is, is still in the research phase, still trying to figure out what could be used for human health. What are some of the ethics surrounding research on embryos? Okay. Well, some of the more obvious ones for most people are, are questions about the way in which for, for, for example, human embryo, stem cell research that it's destructive, that in order to develop a stem cell line from a human embryo, you must destroy the embryo so it could never become a child. And for those people who are particularly concerned about the moral status of embryos, who who view embryos as having equivalent moral status to other humans, then they would find that whole possibility to be problematic. For other people, I mean, we, most of us value embryos in one way or another because we recognize the relationship between a human embryo and other human beings. And so some concerns about the possibility of viewing human embryos as simply more objects that we can use for research or for health purposes, or concerns about the commodification of, of uh, embryo research or embryo lines through being able to, to sell on a, a product which you might create from a stem cell line. There are other, in, in other areas of research on embryos, there might be questions about whether or not the research, which may not be destructive, might, might do damage to a child that might result from that embryo's development, or questions about whether we should put embryos that have been the subject of research into a woman's uterus in order to be able to be carried as a pregnancy. And so there's issues specifically about the, the moral status that people disagree on about human embryos, but also questions about the health of children that may result or the health of women who may be the source of the ova that are used to create the embryos or the potential for our attitudes towards women and children to be shaped by that research or the potential for commodification of human tissues. So there's a wide range of different ethical issues. I was just wondering, where do the embryos come from? Are they just created for the research purposes or are they excess embryos that are unwanted by their parents? In the Australian context, licensing for embryos to be used in research must involve embryos that are what are called supernumerary embryos, that is embryos that have been created initially for the purpose of an infertile couple or infertile person who who seeks to have 
an embryo implanted in order to have a child because there are very often more eggs um, retrieved and more embryos created than may be needed in order for a couple to have a child. So any excess ones, if the couple consents, can be used for the purpose of research within a whole bunch of regulatory guidelines. So in other cases, uh, other countries, there's the possibility of creating embryos for the purpose of research, but in Australia, the legislation doesn't permit that. Was there any public engagement in the Australian embryo research policy in 2005 to 2007? So in the Australian case, the the kind of timeline is that in, in 1998, there wasn't any federal legislation with regard to embryo research or cloning. There were, in some states, such as Victoria, there was some legislation, but not in other states. And there were guidelines on embryo research cloning and on use of embryos for assisted reproductive technology. And so the Australian Health Ethics Committee had developed those. In 2001, partly following on from the developments in Scotland of cloning techniques and and the idea that Dolly the sheep, who you may recall, uh, was a a cloned sheep uh, using some cells from an adult sheep in an an, uh, an ovum that had its nucleus taken out and then cloned, that there was concern in Australia that this might be applied to human embryos and there needed to be some form of regulation. So there was a report produced in by the Senate with uh, Kevin Andrews as the uh, chair of the committee, uh, which recommended national legislation for cloning and stem cell research, um, and also a three-year moratorium on, on research cloning. That then led to two bits of legislation being passed in 2002, the Research Involving Human Embryos Act and the Prohibition of Human Cloning Act, which allowed research on spare IVF embryos, those supernumerary ones we talked about before and the creation, and and made it uh, prohibited for there to be the creation of embryos for research or for human cloning. In 2005, there was a question about whether the legislation needed to be reviewed because the original legislation had a review process built in, and a legislation review committee was created, which was chaired by uh, Lockhart, which reviewed those two bits of legislation. And they went through a process with extensive engagement, both community engagement in the sense of having open community calls, and so they would bring people up to roundtable discussions, as well as um, identifying people who may may have been from different parts of the research um, community, uh, different community groups and health groups, and an opportunity for public submission. So they had at least three different ways in which they engaged with both expert and more uh, community-based groups in trying to to review the legislation. And then eventually the legislation went through in 2006, which basically loosened up some of the requirements on research involving human embryos and tightened up some um, some other areas. And in that process, there was also a conscience vote which allowed parliamentarians to no longer vote simply on the basis of party lines, but also allowed them to use their own conscience or to review the interests of their constituency. Um, And it seemed that in that process, some of the parliamentarians went directly back to uh, members of their community and asked them their views about these areas of legislation. So it seems as if there was quite a bit of uh, at least attempts at engaging the community in that discussion. 
even though some of them might have been you know, uh, a little bit constructed and not necessarily the, the most robust, there was certainly an attempt to try to engage the community. You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio and I'm speaking to Professor Susan Dodds about the ethical use of technology. Do you think that in a general sense public engagement is based more on emotion than reason? Well, I think that uh, there's a whole bunch of different things that might be categorised as public engagement with science policy or with, with research technology uh, policy in Australia and elsewhere. Some forms of public engagement are don't attempt to go to people's reasoning um, and, and entirely uh, ask people their attitudes, unreflected attitudes, and that may um, get responses which are much more uh, emotion-focused rather than reason-focused. Others try to recognize that perhaps people would come up with different responses to questions about regulation or about um, novelty in technology if they were engaged in a discussion with other people, that they're trying to understand you know, where we've got um, an ethically contentious area like embryo research, recognize that there probably does need to be some regulation here because researchers need to know what they can and can't do and uh, health practices need to know what's possible to do in these areas, but also to, to try to find out what people care about, what people value about the potential to use stem cell lines to, to improve people's health or about the potential associated with, I don't know, payment of women for uh, donation of, of OVA if we were to decide to not just use um, spare embryos from IVF. And, and to understand what people are concerned about when they say that they want us to want to make sure that we respect the value of the embryo. And if you get people to actually discuss with each other what their hopes or fears or their concerns and, and, and their position is with regard to these things, it seems to me you're more likely to get people to engage their reason if they have to listen to each other and try to understand each other's point. But if you simply hand someone a microphone or phone someone up or stand, you know, ask someone um, at a street corner, what do you think about, you know, human cloning? Isn't, you know, isn't that something that we should be concerned about? You're probably more likely to get uh, an emotional response rather than a, a reasoned response because it's taken out of context and the person will put in whatever their concerns happen to be at the time. So I think that, that you can use public engagement to engage in deliberation and in reasoning, but you can, also, you can also manipulate public engagement. So you can present things in a way that puts your position forward as something which is relatively obvious and contrary positions as ones which are only silly people would hold sort of view, uh, and therefore you can get people to respond in an emotional way. Because everybody's entitled to an opinion, but it's preferable that it be a well-informed one. That's right, and I, and I think that often in these areas, part of the issue is about trying not to, in, in, in providing information on what's going on with embryo research or providing information on what's possible in human cloning, is to balance it out sufficiently so that people get the capacity to exercise their own critical judgment on it rather than to, to manipulate that. So one of, the, one of the purposes of a lot of the public engagement and deliberative processes is as much to explain as it is to re recall or, or, or you know, vacuum up people's attitudes and be able to say that you know, 9 out of 10 Australians surveyed all agree that whatever. It's more important that you find out that people, when they 
have had a particular bit of technology explained to them, then are able to say whether or not they think that there's a particular concern in one area or another. Um, it seems to me that, you know, for example, given what we know about uh, the Australian community, that recognizing the different uh, cultural or religious groups um, or Aboriginal people or people with disabilities or whatever, that, that there are clearly different groups of people who will have different investment and different concern about what might happen with research involving human embryos and the potential for stem cell research to address certain kinds of illnesses or certain kinds of conditions, but that we shouldn't assume that everyone in each of those groups shares entirely the same view with everyone else in that group. So recognizing the diversity in a, in a uh, liberal democracy, which seeks at least to respect the fact that we live in a community in which people have sincerely held um, seriously diverse uh, ethical positions is one of the tricks for any any democracy to write uh, to develop policy in areas which are contentious and many areas of new technologies are going to be among those areas in which, well, one, we don't know what people care about and two, we're very likely to find out they care about different things. Yeah, now, each, each state has their own legislation. What type of problems does this cause? Well, in the case of, of uh, both reproductive technology and questions about the use of embryos in research, on the one hand, for a long time, states have had very distinct bits of legislation, but uh, it is also the case that these days they um, tend to fall under, in the case of embryo research, guidelines developed by the Australian Health Ethics Committee, and I probably should do a little disclosure here. I'm a member of the Australian Health <laughs> Ethics Committee, so I may, I may have a very good view about it. The Australian Health Ethics Committee uh, had, right, developed guidelines in this area, as well as the, the now the, the Commonwealth legislation and the Embryo Licensing Committee. But it certainly has been the case that prior to 2002, there was quite a degree of diversity between the different states with regard to what was permitted or not permitted and the ways in which in assisted reproductive technology clinics ran. And therefore, there was a potential for a researcher or a patient or someone who wished to port or, or commodify some of the healthcare treatments that could come from embryo research, that there was a risk that they would have, they could do something in one jurisdiction and not another. Since the 2006 amendments to the Research Involving Human Embryos Act and the Prohibition of Human Cloning Act, it's now the case that most states have revised their state legislation so that they're at least consistent with that national legislation. But in the past, um, Victoria was a, a state that was very quick to legislate widely on all areas of assisted reproductive technology, including research, and that meant that sometimes its legislation was slow to track changes in the developments of technology, and it's taken it a while to be able to catch up. Um, Victoria actually has now got some very positive and very far-reaching uh, revisions to its legislation in this area, but it, there was a, a period of time when it was prohibiting things which were seen to be acceptable elsewhere. So that's one of the risks with, with um, differences between the states, is that you can have both popular concern about the legislation and the fact that questions about human reproductive capacity can become issues for you know, petty political moves, but also that you can end up with big gaps between where the science is going and where, and where the legislation is. In 2002, there was an act passed prohibiting 
human cloning. Mm-hmm. Now, what would some of the ethics be surrounding human cloning? Well, there's a bunch of things. One of them being the idea that my unique genetic complement should be specific to me, unless I happen to be a twin or a triplet, and that uh, that if it's the case that my genetic material is being used to cre- to create another living being, um, another person who is identical to me genetically, that we might get some confusions about about our own identity or about you know what what it is to be properly human. And so some people are, are concerned simply with the idea that, that you would reproduce a genetic copy of yourself. Some people are concerned about the attitudes that might make someone want to clone, you know, be cloned and, and, and have another one of them lurking around. But most of the work on cloning, no one has been able to clone a person yet. To the best of my knowledge, there may be somebody who's done it clandestinely somewhere in the world, but uh, it's rather the case that people have been concerned to want to prohibit cloning, uh, research on cloning, um, and therefore have wanted to prohibit the development of embryos that have been cloned. And, and the way that occurs, you take the nucleus out of an ovum uh, and then replace that nucleus with material from the nucleus of an adult cell so that you would uh, be creating a, a clone of me by well, actually take the nucleus out of, out of the embryo by taking an embryo and, and removing from it the genetic material within the embryo and replace it with an adult's material and of course there's a bit more um, magical science in there than, than I uh, could probably clearly articulate but the idea is that the, the you end up on the one hand you're destroying um, what may have already existed as an embryo so that would be a concern for those who don't like embryo research to start with. The second is that you would be uh, putting in adult cells into an embryo. And there's been some concerns about, well, look, if you were to clone a human and to allow that to develop into a child, then it's the case that the child would actually have my adult cells. And there's some possibility that any ill you know, for example, a, a, a propensity towards cancer that may be in me because the division of my cells over the past 50-odd years means that they're more likely to lead to some sort of genetic distortion uh, and therefore there might be some damaging impact on a child that would result. But most of the concern seems to be about the uniqueness of the individual, it seems to be about that, but also about the possibility that if we start engaging in human cloning, then our impetus to commodify human beings is increased. That we've got, uh, we can we can pander to views that people may have about their own immortality or about their own capacity to control the world in, in a way that's seen to be socially disruptive or or or, uh, or, or dangerous in, in the changes attitudes towards human beings. So, what were some of the reflections on the public engagement in human embryo research? Okay, so if we think about deliberative approaches, we're thinking about the idea that when we're developing policy on new areas of of legislation, such as questions about human cloning, where you know 50 years ago nobody needed to worry about having legislation in this area, that we need to think about what the reasoning is and, and what's the process of making decisions. And very often, governments at that point will want three things. One is they'll want to make sure that the policy they develop in some sense tracks public attitudes, um, that it actually you know, finds out what people think. 
secondly, that those people who may be affected, especially those who have strongly diverse um, ethical positions, can understand how you came to a policy decision so that it's, there's a, uh, an articulation of the reasoning important for the legitimacy of the deliberative process. And third, that the politicians recognize that this is not an area that's, you know, mere party politics. It's not just positioning um, relative to um, a, a, a broader policy framework, but that it needs a certain kind of special treatment. And in the Australian case, that's involved often uh, a range of trying to record or to survey public attitudes, to understand the science and the different debates going on um, among different groups about the way in which the research is developing, as well as that idea of using either Senate hearings or public submissions or some way of getting people to respond to draft legislation, which frees them a little bit of the usual party lines. And so the issue, of course, with deliberation is it's very tenuous um, in the sense that there's a fine line between a genuine deliberative process which is used to influence policy and an idea of mere consultation where governments or, or policymakers may go out to the community knowing already what they want the answer to be, but wanting to, to be seen to be deli- you know, communicating uh, with the wider community about their attitudes in order to finalize a certain part of the process. So to do deliberation well requires actually gaining the trust of the community, but also honoring that tr- trust that the community has put in the policymaker to actually reflect that in the debate. And in the Australian case with the Lockhart Review, the, the Legislative Review Committee that looked at uh, the Embryos Act and the Cloning Act, that they you know, very carefully and very consciously drew on their submissions they'd received or the, the hearings they'd had in writing up their reasons for their position and then delivered that to the legislators so that it would inform their debates and to make sure that they had the capacity to understand not just what the outcome was, not just the conclusion, you know, cloning's bad and some embryo research is okay, but rather the reasons that were given for developing this kind of policy response. That's a very interesting topic. So thanks very much for being on the program today. Thank you very much. And I've been speaking to Professor Susan Dodds about the ethical use of technology. Hi, I am Kate Rigby, Professor of Environmental Humanities at Monash University and I'm a fan of 3CR Community Radio which is 8.55 on your AM dial and I recommend in particular Radical Philosophy. And that's all we have time for today. I'd like to thank Professor Susan Dodds for speaking about the ethical use of technology and hope everybody's been given plenty of food for thought. Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130, Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential, Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 
or visit wire.org.au. Wire is a 3CR supporter. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.